Hey there, thanks for stopping by and having a listen to the first bonus episode of the Ransomware Files podcast. This podcast tells the stories of IT professionals who are fighting back against cyber criminals who extort organizations with malicious software called ransomware. It's one of the greatest crime waves to ever hit the internet. If you've listened before, you know that the main episodes go pretty deep into the details of a ransomware attack and interviews those in the trenches. But there's often material left over that's quite interesting. I'm going to occasionally publish shorter bonus episodes with these stories, and this is one of them. It's a companion one to episode five, which covered how the Our Evil Ransomware Gang exploited flaws in software made by the American company Kaseya. If you haven't had a listen to that one yet, check it out. And as far as this bonus episode, hopefully this morsel will keep you going while I work on a longer episode on something that I'm pretty excited about. Thanks for listening. Software supply chain attacks are one of the most sneaky and unnoticeable ways in which an organization can get hacked. In these type of attacks, someone manages to tamper with a component of a software program, and it ends up getting distributed to anyone who uses that software or service. And the effects can be not unlike that of an industrial fishing trawler scraping the bottom of the oceans. In July 2021, one of the largest supply chain style attacks on record occurred. It involved a type of ransomware that was made by a group that called itself R-Evil. Attackers managed to discover and exploit several vulnerabilities in software made by Kaseya. Kaseya develops the Virtual System Administrator, which is remote monitoring and management software. VSA is used by lots of companies, including managed service providers that help other companies manage their IT systems. Both managed service providers and vendors that make remote management software have been on the radar of cyber criminals, nation states, and ransomware operators for a long time. They're attractive targets because hacking one entity could open the door to a whole lot of other organizations. In early 2021, researchers with the Dutch Institute for Vulnerability Disclosure discovered around seven vulnerabilities in the VSA product and warned Kaseya. Kaseya had fixed some but not all of the issues, including a really nasty remote authentication bypass flaw in the on-premises version of VSA. On July 2nd, 2021, our evil struck. It seeded a bogus software update for the VSA that actually was ransomware. Exploitation of the vulnerabilities allowed the attackers to distribute ransomware to up to 60 managed service providers. By attacking those systems, R-Evil was able to then distribute ransomware to the clients of those MSPs. And you probably know the rest of the story. Nearly 1,500 organizations around the world were affected, including grocery stores in Sweden, pharmacies in that country, and small businesses around the world. R-Evil asked for a ransom of $70 million. One of those affected was a company called Hopenbrowers in the Netherlands. It specializes in installing climate control systems and lighting, sprinklers, security systems, solar installations, any sort of technical or electrical system that would go in a building. It's been around for more than 100 years. It has 17 offices across the Netherlands, employs around 1,600 people, and has more than a quarter of a billion euros in annual revenue. So how severely was Hopenbrowers affected? It was close to 100%. That's Marcel de Boer. 
He's Hopenbrower's financial director. Hopenbrower's was unique in the sense that its infection with the R-Evil ransomware wasn't because it was using a managed service provider, which was like most of those affected. It just used the on-premises version of Kaseya's VSA to manage laptops and servers. But Hopenbrower's recovery was fast and complete, and the company is actually working on a book describing its experience with the hope of helping others who have faced ransomware. Marcel says the company first noticed hiccups with its systems on the evening of Friday, July 2nd, 2021, European time. It was the beginning of the evening when one of our people uh, was trying to lo log into the system and couldn't get in. So he called the IT department and, and they looked into it and uh, it happened to be uh, a problem with ransomware. So that was when all alarms got off. Hopenbrowers had been using VSA on some 1,600 laptops that its employees used out in the field. It also had it installed on 150 servers. VSA is very powerful software because if you control it, you can do just about anything to an endpoint. You can deploy patches, control access, service help desk tickets, and more. That's what makes it so useful for admins, especially in companies such as Hopenbrowers where so many people are out and about. Marcel says VSA served its purposes for the company, but was getting a bit long in the tooth. The company was shifting to a Microsoft stack, and part of that transition was replacing VSA with Microsoft's Intune, which is mobile device and application management software. Less to say, our evil accelerated those plans. In fact, Kaseya's VSA was out the following week. Given that it was nearly completely encrypted by R-Evil, Hopenbrowers had a pretty severe situation on its hands, but it was ready going into the fight. It had cyber insurance, it had backups, and it had a CEO named Henny de Haas who was very determined to get the company back on its feet. Marcel says the incident response folks that had been called in said it generally takes about three weeks on average before companies are back in business given the damage. But Henny declared that Hopenbrowers needed to open by Monday. Keep in mind, the attack occurred on Friday evening. Marcel says, Of course, at that time, he didn't know what he was saying. But amazingly, it was going to prove possible. Marcel says it was an all-hands-on-deck effort. More than 200 people came on-site to the company's premises on that weekend to help with the restoration effort. They recalled all of the laptops from the field and established a protocol for checking those machines. By 9 p.m. on July 3rd, 90% of the laptops had been returned to home base and 80% had been checked. Hope and Brower's cyber insurance arranged for an IT security consultancy and managed security services provider called Northwave to come in as well. What proved to be the foundation for their recovery was, drumroll please, backups. Just two months earlier, Marcel says the company just put in place HPE's Nimble storage product. Nimble retains snapshots. Analysts checked the snapshots to ensure there were no signs of infection, and they indeed were clean. And there we had, yeah, how do you say, maybe a bit of luck with the storage systems uh, we have. And we managed to get back a snapshot of that Friday afternoon. The snapshots helped speed up recovery enormously. They also needed to restore about 150 servers. Those machines included file servers, its enterprise relationship management system, and servers that ran applications that the company uses to do things like draw technical installations. The snapshots restored 150 servers with 75 terabytes of data in just minutes. But Marcel says there was a small problem. The snapshots only went back to the previous Friday around noon. When Hope and Brower employees came in on Monday, as far as their work was concerned, they knocked off at midday on Friday. <sighs> 
Now, granted, this is far from the worst problem an organization has ever had with ransomware, but it still meant that people had to reconstruct their work and try and remember what they'd done, and then do it again. Although the snapshots were a huge step forward in the recovery process, it would have not have been possible to be back in business on Monday without the help of Hope and Brower employees. Communicating with them was key in the recovery process, so they filmed a webinar in the company's studios on the weekend. In the first webinar, Henny stands with a slide clicker in his hand. Marcel is to his left. He looks down, shifts around, and moves his water glass slightly. He begins speaking. Yeah. Welkom iedereen vanavond om 8 uur. Gelukkig dat jullie er allemaal zijn. Uh, ja, dat is even een emotioneel momentje voor mij. Uh, of course, Henny is speaking in Dutch, but you can hear it. Henny starts speaking, and then he chokes up. He says it's an emotional moment. He says the night before, the company became the victim of an online attack and that they don't know who did it. But he says that Hopenbrowers was prepared, and with the help of its employees, they were indeed up and running on Monday like Henny had declared. They also had contact with R. Evil a day after the attack. Marcel says it was standard procedure for Northwave, which was the incident response firm helping Hopenbrowers, to reach out to the attackers and see what they wanted. R. Evil had asked for 70 million to decrypt all victims by supplying a universal decryption key. The group claimed that more than 1 million systems were infected, but it didn't appear they actually knew who the victims were. The gang's customer support reps, which would normally walk victims through the negotiation process for a decryption key, appeared to be kind of overwhelmed and couldn't really handle the flood of victims contacting them. Here's Marcel. So they asked 50,000 US dollar in Monero, which is a relatively small amount for a company of our, our, our size. And he tried to, um, to discover if they had uh, data uh, out of the system and a little bit of a vague answer. And that was also for him a signal that that was not the case. So we stopped that negotiations and we were already re recovering uh, from our backups uh, by, that, by that time. As you heard before, Hopenbrowers was close to transitioning away from Kaseya's VSA when the attack happened, which was unfortunate for the company. After the attack, Kaseya immediately shut down the software as a service version of VSA. And along with the Dutch research team and other computer emergency response organizations, warned companies that they were running dangerously vulnerable software. Kaseya also made efforts to contact every customer, even those that weren't affected by the ransomware attack. Marcel says the Kaseya account manager reached out in the week after after the incident and tried to make an appointment with the board of Kaseya and the board of Hopenbrowers, but... But that appointment has never happened. I mean, the guy was too busy. And Marcel says by that point, the company wasn't even using Kaseya anymore and it moved to Microsoft Intune. But Marcel has a thought. He thinks Kaseya should have told its customers that its software was vulnerable soon after it found out about the software flaws. Then, the customers could decide on their own whether it was worth the risk of continuing to run it while Kaseya engineered patches. We were very disappointed that they didn't warn us beforehand. Marcel raises interesting points about how software vendors handle vulnerabilities. Information about unpatched software vulnerabilities often become public before a patch is available. That can occur for different reasons. Maybe the attackers are already exploiting it in the wild, making the flaw what's known as a zero-day vulnerability. Maybe whomever found the bug decided to publicize it before there was a patch. In the case of Kaseya's VSA, the Dutch researchers privately informed the company. 
Between early April, when the researchers did that, and July 2nd, when the massive attack happened, there were no reports of exploitation of the flaws. At that point, it was still a secret. Vendors don't have a lot of great options when they're told their software has a dangerous flaw, aside from quickly engineering a patch. Vendors will often issue advisories if the issue has become public and tell their customers to implement mitigations that reduce the risk until a patch is ready. But what if the issue isn't publicly known yet, is easy to exploit, and is highly severe? Do you just keep quiet about it until you can patch? Or do you tell your customers to shut down the software but not really tell them the full story? And if that course of action is taken, what if some customers don't get the message and just keep running the software? Kaseya faced all of these questions and kept quiet. The story, of course, has an ugly ending. Our evil used some of the same flaws discovered by the Dutch researchers in the attack. We still don't know how they did that. It is possible that they just independently found the flaws. But regardless of how all that went down, Marcel says Hopenbrowers would have gladly shut down its VSA in advance to spare themselves the stress of a ransomware attack. We would have we would take it down, yeah, yeah. Uh, it happens a lot, I think, that there is a problem with software and it is fixed before you know it. I think there's a lot happening that we don't know. In this case, it was quite a big problem, yeah. The nimble snapshots were critical to Hope and Brower's recovery, but Marcel says the company took many more steps after the attack to become more resilient. The incident response firm and consultancy Northwave is now monitoring Hopenbrower's network and endpoints 24-7. It also changed how it manages privileged accounts, including requiring special approvals to access certain powerful accounts. The problem with third-party supply chain risk is vexing and there's not a lot of good solutions. But Marcel has a warning. You have to prepare and you have to also be aware of the supply chain uh, vulnerabilities. Not only IT suppliers, but also if you have a supplier which is, uh, is critical to your company and that supplier is, is, is hit by uh, ransomware, then you also are in trouble. This bonus episode of The Ransomware Files was written, researched, edited, and produced by me, Jeremy Kirk. The production coordinator is Rashi Ramesh. The Ransomware Files theme song is by Chris Gilbert of Ordinary Weirdos Music. If you enjoyed this episode of The Ransomware Files, please share it and leave a review. It will help keep this project going. The series has its own Twitter handle, at Ransomware Files, which tweets news and happenings about ransomware. I'm on Twitter at Jeremy underscore Kirk. If you'd like to participate in this project or have an idea for it, please get in touch. The project is looking for other people, organizations, and companies that can share their unique experiences for the benefit of all until ransomware, hopefully, becomes a thing of the past. 